Morning, Brookside. It's good to see everybody. Hey, well, this morning we're going to continue on in our series called The Difference, and I really hope that this series has been helpful um, for you in learning about um, different world religions. Um, this, mor- this morning we've got a special guest with us, uh, Mark Mathewson, and uh, Mark's going to be teaching us this morning on the topic of pantheism. Mark is the, the dean of the Christian Leadership College over in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska. He received his Ph.D. from the University of Nebraska, and he teaches frequently in the area of philosophy, worldview, theology, and biblical studies. And so it's great to have Mark here with us. He also has a heart for the local church. Mark is on staff over at Lincoln Brian. And so with his background in philosophy and with his heart for the local church and its desire to see its mission fulfilled, um, we're excited to be able to sit under his teaching and to learn about pantheism this morning. So let's give Mark a warm welcome to Brookside. What? Good morning. Thank you for having me. I send uh, or bring with me greetings from your brothers and sisters in Christ at Lincoln Berean Church. I haven't been here before, so it's nice to meet together with you. I grew up in central Illinois in a small, um, conservative, uh, typical Midwestern uh, town in a a Christian family. Uh, My dad was a pastor, a director of a mission uh, organization. And Eastern religions like Hinduism, Buddhism were just names to me. Uh, You know, you'd hear about them maybe in the news or somebody might mention them, but you just knew that, well, that was kind of foreign, that was weird, um, it wasn't right, and didn't give it much thought. Um, In my junior high school, we moved to Montana, and my dad took a church there, and The last place that you'd think, perhaps, that somebody would encounter Eastern thought, Eastern religion, was, you know, Montana. But it just so happened that the valley uh, in which we lived, there was uh, a New Age group called the Church Universal and Triumphant. And this New Age group was a typical New Age group that combined some Christianity, some Western thought, but with a lot of Eastern thought, a lot of Hinduism and Buddhism, kind of a a mixture of all of that. And so even there, I was forced to begin for the first time to have to think about and wrestle with Eastern thinking, Eastern religion, Eastern philosophy, and this worldview known as pantheism that we want to talk about this morning. I later went to Denver Seminary where I uh, obtained my master's degree in philosophy of religion and was fortunate enough to study under uh, one of uh, at least this country's um, you know, foremost thinkers in uh, the New Age movement, Doug Groteis, uh, and was fortunate to learn more about Eastern uh, thinking uh, and even went to write a master's thesis uh, looking at Uh, the superiority of a Christian worldview and its approach to environmental and ecological issues as opposed to worldviews like pantheism. So it's something I've thought about over the last 25 years uh, or so. But I was thinking, even as I was driving here this morning, if a Midwestern kid can encounter, you know, pantheism 25 years ago in, you know, what many people consider a remote part of the United States in Montana... Certainly, given the advancements in technology, uh, you know, things that we now encounter from around the world, how much more so today will you in, a, in Omaha encounter Eastern thought? And where might we do that? Where do we see Eastern 
thought, Eastern religions, this worldview of pantheism, where does uh, it it meet us today? Well, obviously, one of the ways, again, due to technology, is we see uh, a lot of discussions even in the media. I was intrigued just two weeks ago as I was scanning through some news websites to notice on foxnews.com, there was an article on what we can learn about sex from Eastern religions. And went through and, you know, here's what Hinduism and Buddhism and these other Eastern religions say. Of course, and then I got thinking, I wonder if they would ever do a story like that, what we can learn from Christianity on sex, let alone if they even thought that, you know, Christians had any, um, you know, kind of position on that, let alone an informative one. But that's a story for another day. But we encounter it in the news, of course, uh, from Hollywood itself, you think of movies that have pantheistic themes, you know, all the way from Star Wars, uh, The Matrix, you know, Karate Kid, uh, those kind of movies. Uh, Avatar has some Hindu themes. Again, I'm not suggesting that we don't watch those. I mean, who doesn't love Mr. Miyagi from Karate Kid, right? Um, they're, they're interesting and entertaining, and there's nothing, in, in essence, wrong with watching some of those. But we do encounter pantheistic and Eastern religion themes in, uh, in those movies. And of course, even the Hollywood celebrities, sports celebrities themselves embrace Eastern thinking. And we might come into contact with pantheism through, um, you know, watching and observing, you know, people like Tiger Woods, uh, the golfer is a, a, a Buddhist, Phil Jackson, the coach of the Los Angeles Lakers, a Zen Buddhist, uh, people like, even like Jennifer Lopez, who have um, dabbled in, in Buddhism, Keanu, um, Keanu Reeves and others in Hollywood have begun to embrace this. And so we find out about that, and it intrigues us because these are our celebrities. And maybe one of the most notable, and I think America's most for or most known and followed theologian, has adopted new age thinking and promotes that. And that's Oprah Winfrey. You don't think of her as a theologian, but she's a spiritual guide for lots of people. And she promotes books and authors and so forth that have Eastern religious themes and pantheistic themes. So we encounter through media, through celebrities, sports stars, these kind of worldviews. But, you know, we can even come closer to home. Right here in Omaha, you might encounter friends, family, neighbors, work associates, classmates who have been exposed and who have adopted Eastern thought. Many are drawn into Eastern religions through, again, what we've called the New Age movement. That is this blend of Eastern thought and Western thought, Christianity, And they might talk about reincarnation, this view that once you die, you come back again in another life, and this cycle continues until perhaps you've worked off enough karma, the bad things that you do, and so forth. So you might have friends who think that. You might have friends who, again, encounter pantheism, Eastern thought, through the martial arts, through yoga. Yoga is a Hindu practice. And again, with martial arts, 
I think a Christian can participate in the martial arts and leave any of the Eastern stuff behind. One has to be careful, though, because there's a lot of, it, it, a lot of those pr- uh, disciplines begin in the, in the Eastern culture and have Eastern religion as part of those, and I think those can be separated. I'm a little leery, though, of yoga, and I think that's something a Christian should think very seriously about before even getting into. And one of the reasons I say that is even Hindu scholars are very adamant that yoga is inherently Hindu and you cannot separate the two. So I think one should be careful. But again, due to the prevalence of these kind of practices, we're exposed to Eastern thought. And we're going to have to wrestle with a very different worldview that has very different ideas about who God is, about what this world is like, about who we are. And what I'd like to do for the next few moments is to very briefly look at some differences between Christianity and this worldview known as pantheism and then try to suggest some ways that the gospel can be used to impact those who have embraced or who are entrapped by Eastern thought. Now, unlike some of the the Sundays that you've had or will have where you're going to be dealing with a specific religion, we're not going to deal with a specific religion today, but a worldview that many different religions adopt. And so what I'm going to describe this morning is a general picture of pantheism and realize that some of the people you might encounter might not hold everything that I say or to the exact degree that I say, okay? Because many different religions, just like, you know, many different denominations, even in Christianity, have their own little quirks and differences and so forth. You'll find that in pantheism as well. But I'd like to briefly suggest, again, very quickly, seven differences between Christianity and the Christian worldview and the worldview of pantheism. And again, religions like Hinduism and even Buddhism to a large extent, the New Age movement fall under this worldview. The first difference is a difference in scriptures. In Eastern religion, there is an abundance of different authoritative writings one may appeal to. You know, in Hinduism, it's the, what's called the Vedas. There's also, you may have heard of the Bhagavad Gita, our authoritative scriptures for them, and even some, some Buddhists, definitely in the New Age movement. Of course, for Buddhists, it's the teachings of the Buddha that are uh, held as authoritative. And again, if you're encountering people in the New Age movement, they might even acknowledge the scriptures as being one among several authoritative texts but a variety of different scriptures where again as christians we believe that this is god's word and the authority for belief and practice and this alone not to be combined with other writings and that it's not just mere insight by enlightened humans but the very word of god itself so a difference in scripture there's also a difference in in terms of one's view of God. In pantheism, the view is, and this is where it gets its name, pantheism, everything is God or a manifestation of God. Everything is divine. Whether it's you, whether it's whatever, animals, whatever 
object in the world. Everything is divine. Everything is a manifestation of the divine. In fact, in in his book, The Essentials of Hinduism, Swami Bhaskarananda said this, the most important message of the Vedas, and that's the Hindu scriptures, the most important message of the Vedas is that everything and every being is divine. But here's something that you need to understand about pantheism and their view and the pantheist view of God. It's not just that everything is God, but the conception of God is very different. For the pantheist, God is simply an impersonal force or energy. Don't think of God as a personal being. Someone who has thoughts and interests and desires, someone who loves you, wants the best for you, that's not the conception. In reality, God is just a power or a force or an energy that permeates all things, and it's impersonal. So everything is God or a manifestation of God, and everything is this, again, impersonal cosmic force. Again, that's very different than the Christian view of God, where we have a God who is a person and a personal being, one who can relate to an individual, and one who is distinct from the universe that he created. So on the Christian worldview, not everything is God. There is a God, but distinct from the world. And this God is a personal being who has intelligence and desires and loves his creation. So different scriptures, a different God. In pantheism, there's also really a different world. The pantheistic understanding of what the world is really like is that it is a singular, undifferentiated spiritual entity. In other words, everything is all one. The fancy term for this is monism, M-O-N-I-S-M. You get the term mono, meaning one, monism. Everything is all one, and ultimately everything is all one spiritual reality that's kind of all blended together. And any distinctions that we seem to perceive, right, you think, well, hey, I'm different than you are, I'm different than, you know, some other object that I encounter in the world. In pantheistic thinking, that's simply all illusion, that's, all, that's just the way things appear. But the reality is everything is just all one thing. And of course, everything is all divine as well. Again, that's very different than the Christian worldview where God has created this universe with all of its various parts that are different. I'm a unique individual that's different than you. And you're a unique individual different than everyone else and everything else. Yes, we have our unity in a sense in God, but we're not one with God and we're not one with each other in the sense of we're the same thing. So a different, different scriptures, a different God, different reality or different world, and a different concept of human beings. Now think of what we've said so far in pantheism. If everything is all one thing and, every, and all that one thing is God, That means that each of us is divine. And we are ultimately all one with everything. Which means that ultimately, 
I'm an impersonal cosmic force as just kind of blending in with the one. Oftentimes, the illustration is used of an ocean or a bucket of water and taking a drop. That drop represents you. You put that in the water and it's indistinguishable from the rest. And that's the picture. You are one with everything like that. Your identity in the end is lost. In a very different picture than the Christian view that we are image bearers of God. We are not God, but we bear his image. And in so doing, we have a unique identity. And God has created us in that unique way, unlike anyone or anything else. So a different scripture, a different God, a different universe or a reality, a different view of humanity, a different view of the world's problem. Any worldview, any religion has to acknowledge that this world is broken. Something isn't right with the world and it has to address that. Pantheism says the problem is that we have forgotten our oneness with everything. We have forgotten our divine nature. That is where the problem lies. Right? That is why there needs to be you know, this endless cycle, it seems, of birth and reincarnation to give us the opportunity to somehow achieve that state of enlightenment where we realize our oneness with everything and we realize our divine nature. And that's a very different problem than what Christianity says about the world. That the problem is sin. It's rebellion against the creator God that has caused this world to be broken. That have caused people to be broken. So big contrast there. And of course, what you think the problem is will dictate what you think the solution to the problem is. And between Christianity and pantheism, there are radically different solutions. See, if the, solu- if the problem is that somehow I need to be enlightened and I need to realize I'm one with everything and I need to realize my own divine nature, the way to achieve that will be very different than if I believe that it's the problem of sin. And in the pantheistic worldview, the way one achieves that is through various things. Meditative practices, yoga, maybe chanting mantras, one-word sayings that help me, again, achieve this enlightened state. Through working off my bad karma, those bad things that I do, I've got to somehow now balance the scale and do good things. And if I don't accomplish that in this life, I'm destined to do it in another and another and another and so forth. And the thing is, the only one who can do that is me. Salvation is achieved by me and my efforts. I have no one to help me. Except, yeah, there maybe is a, a, a guru or some spiritual master that can assist me along the way, but I have to do it. It's all up to me in the end. And that's what you you realize is very different than with Christianity. If if sin is the problem, rebellion against God, and we understand who God is, and that my rebellion against him has made it impossible for me to do anything about it, I'm left at the mercy of, of God. 
And thankfully, God has done something about that. He's provided a way for this world to be fixed and for me to be fixed through sending his son, Jesus, who did it for me. And all I need to do is respond. And in repentance, acknowledging Jesus as Lord and Savior. So a very different solution to the problem. One last thing to keep in mind as you encounter pantheism is two very different Jesuses. Most pantheists, specifically in the New Age, but even some Hindus and Buddhists, will recognize Jesus, again, as another spiritual master or another guru. You know, that's another way to, you know, achieve this state of enlightenment. He's one among many. I mentioned this group that I encountered in Montana, the Church Universal and Triumphant. They had a pantheon of these spiritual masters. They called ascended masters. You know, Buddha was one. Jesus was one. You know, all these other saints were different spiritual uh, gurus, really, that kind of would help us. So if you kind of followed them, you could achieve enlightenment like they did and get in touch with your own divine being and oneness with everything. And so Jesus is looked at as just one among many. Just one among many individuals that we could follow to achieve, you know, our realization that we are divine, that we're one with everything. Again, how very different from Christianity, right? Where Jesus is the unique son of God. God in flesh. Full God, full, fully human who came to be savior of the world. Not merely to show us how we might attain our salvation, but to come and accomplish that for us. Very, very different views here. Different scriptures, different God, a different world, right? A different humanity, a different problem, a different solution, and a very different Jesus. And of course, we're convinced that the Christian worldview is the right picture of the world and that we have good news. And how does the good news of Christianity meet up with Eastern thought? How can it address the concerns of Eastern thought? How can we, when we encounter people who have embraced Hinduism or Buddhism or the New Age movement or other Eastern religions... How can we talk to them in, in a way that might connect with them? Quickly, three things. Let me first suggest that we have a fresh understanding of the gospel. Now, please listen to me and note what I did not say. I didn't say a different view of the gospel or a new view of the gospel. I said a fresh view of the gospel. Sometimes we talk about and think about the gospel in kind of ways that become stale. And for many of us, we might think, well, the gospel was just something that I needed to convert to Christianity, right? The gospel is just, the good news is that I can, you know, pray this prayer and get into heaven when I die. And, you know, we'll kind of wait around for that to happen. That's part of the good news, but it's not the whole thing. The good news is that God, through the person of Jesus, is now working to redeem the whole world to himself and to restore this broken world through the death of his son. 
And that's not just true just for my moment of conversion, but the good news is the good news for all of life. Not just for the moment of salvation. And this is what can connect with people from Eastern religions who they look at the world and they see the suffering and they want to get out of this suffering and they see what's gone wrong and they think through their own efforts and you know cycles of birth and reincarnation and birth and reincarnation and doing this and that and meditating here. They think that that can all be accomplished. But if we can show them that God is up to something that can help them now, even in the midst of this suffering world, not to somehow escape it into some impersonal bliss somehow, but that God can solve our real problems in this real world now and for eternity, I think that's something that will connect with them. And here's how I would explain it. And this is, the, I think, the second thing. One is a fresh view of the gospel. Think about the gospel has implications for your life today. Okay, it, it wasn't something merely relevant when I said the prayer, but it's relevant to my life right today. How do I want to convey that to the, a person with an Eastern religion or who's bought into pantheism? I think it's this, that we can have a relationship, a personal relationship with the Creator. I can't think of anything more discouraging more demotivating than the goal of becoming one with some impersonal force. There's no love. There's no relationship. To me, Christianity provides not only a more viable option, but a more attractive option, is that we can have a relationship with the creator of the universe, a personal being, and entering that relationship doesn't dissolve my own individuality my own uniqueness in fact i think it enhances it see the story of the bible is this i'm going to steal a phrase from sandra richter an old testament scholar and by the way if you haven't ever read her book the epic of eden do so you need to read it it is a wonderful book i'm going to steal this phrase from her the theme throughout the bible is god's people in God's presence, in God's place. If you want one short description of the whole Bible, that is it. Creation was God creating a place where he could come and live with his people and they live with him in his immediate presence. But of course, sin has messed that up. And so from Genesis 3 to Revelation 20, you have a story of God trying to get back to the garden trying to make things so once again God could establish a relationship, his presence with his people in his place. And in Revelation 21 and 22, we get that picture of what it will be like when he accomplishes that. And that those who through a relationship with Jesus enter this relationship with God can be restored to what God originally intended to dwell with people, to, for the people to be in his immediate presence and to be in his place. So our destiny isn't some impersonal 
existence as part of the whole universe, but it's to live in the new creation in the immediate presence of God in a personal relationship where I'm a unique individual relating to other unique individuals in the presence of a unique God who loves me and is concerned about me and all the problems of the world have been corrected. And I ask you, which view seems more appealing? And which view seems, most importantly, to be a better description of the way the world actually is. And so I suggest that we talk to our friends and and associates and neighbors who are in Eastern religion in terms of this relationship. Because it will meet the needs that they are looking for. Well, maybe just a couple of practical steps to how we should respond to those in Involved in Eastern religions and any other religions. One is we want to make disciples of them. That's our mission. In Matthew 28, we've been given this great commission to make disciples. And that includes people of Eastern religions. And I know we live in a culture where it's looked at as being intolerant, a bad thing to try to convert someone. But let me say this. I think the most respectful thing you could ever do with someone is to share truth with them. Because you're respecting them as an individual who has an intelligence who can make a legitimate decision when presented with reasons and with facts. I think that's very respectful. Of course, we do that in a loving way. So we need to make disciples of them. May I suggest something that might uh, be a good tool to help you with, not just for this morning, but really for all of your series. Uh, a very good book that actually it has a chapter on pantheism. There's a, an appendix that has some general descriptions of some Eastern religions as well as others. But this book deals with more than just Eastern religions and pantheism, but a book sharing the truth in love. Sharing the truth in love. The subtitle is how to relate to people of other faiths. Okay, sharing the truth in love. The author is Ajith Fernando. A-J-I-T-H. Ajith Fernando. Okay, he comes from Sri Lanka, I believe. It's a wonderful source, a resource to help you in thinking about how is it that I can dialogue and talk with people of other religions, including Eastern religions, in a very productive way. So let me suggest that you do that. That will help you in this responsibility we have to be disciple makers of people of all nations and cultures and religions, including Eastern ones, including pantheistic religions. One other thing that I think is important as we dialogue and interact with people in Eastern religions is that we love them with our whole being. As Jesus says in the twofold commandment, to love God with our whole being and love your neighbor as yourself. I tend to think that the loving your neighbor with yourself is also to be done with my whole being. So it's not just loving God with my whole being, but loving my neighbor with my whole being. And so how do I do that? Well, one, by interacting with them. See, just because they hold maybe what appears to us really weird beliefs, Eastern religions and so forth, doesn't mean that now we avoid them. We must 
begin to develop relationships with them so that we can share this greater relationship that they can have with their creator. So we love them. We meet their needs. We look out for their best interests. That's what it means to love your neighbor. Love is a decision to look out for the best interest of another. So looking out for the best interest of my neighbor who's a Hindu or who's involved in the New Age movement or my classmate who might be into Buddhism. Look out for their best interest. Keep those in mind. Accept them as fellow image bearers. Can build relationships with them. Don't avoid them. And I think when we do those kind of things, we're looking to make disciples out of them, disciples to Jesus. We're looking to love them. It allows us to present this good news that we have, that we as a unique individual can enter into a personal relationship with the God of the universe who sought to redeem me from a broken world and a a broken situation and desires to have this intimate relationship with me forever. And the really good news is I don't have to work to earn that. And I don't have to wonder, am I doing enough stuff? Am I meditating enough? Am I chanting enough? Right? Do I still have bad karma I need to work off in another life? But I know that because of what Jesus has done on the cross, all of that has been taken care of. I can be a redeemed individual and live forever in the presence of the God of the universe. Let's pray. Father, you've called us to a time and a place where we will encounter people of very different religions, including Eastern ones, including religions that are pantheistic, that have this worldview we talked about today. Lord, may we not avoid them, but may we enter relationships and dialogue with them and share this truth that we have, this good news that all of life's problems and issues and brokenness can be taken care of through a relationship, a personal relationship with the very God of the universe. And we thank you for sending your son to accomplish that, something we could have never done. Lord, I pray that we will seek opportunities to minister to those around us who have been caught up in Eastern thought. May we show them the truth of Jesus. And we ask your help with this. And we do so in the name of Jesus and the power of your spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much.